it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Getting Salty Experience Podcast. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, are we on? What happened? Oh, we, we have a little technical difficulty. And away <laughs> we go. Welcome back to the Getting Salty Experience Podcast. It's the only one that brings the firehouse kitchen table to you. Welcome back, Ruffy. Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year, pal. Happy New Year, everybody in the chat. Happy New Year. 2023 is going to be an awesome year. We're starting out with a bang. Oh, we're starting we're out with a bang. Oh, we got a historian in here. Yep. We got a good story. Sit back, get your, get your little uh, box of popcorn, maybe a little drink, and listen to an old story. It's going to be a good one. What did you do for New Year's anyways? Uh, nothing. Yep. <laughs> I made it to midnight. Home? I can tell you that much. Did I you? made it. Yep. To twelve oh five. You were sleeping uh, by twelve ten. Uh, no, no. We stayed up to twelve. Nice quiet New Year. Me, the wife, and the two young boys. And uh we popped a little uh what do they call that? Sparkling apple cider, you know? Uh-huh. So that's what we did. So before we get any further, Ruff, let's uh address the uh, pink elephant in the room. So uh as many of you see, uh, Pete is not on the show. Uh, Pete uh, had to uh, move in a different direction. Uh, so um, we wish him the best. It's very unfortunate. Uh, I can't overstate what Pete has done and meant to this show. Um, he's helped gotten us uh, where we are, and uh, he will be sorely missed. We love Pete. Uh, we will always remain friends and, uh, who knows what the future brings, but, uh, I wish him the very best in his new endeavors and, um, well, he had to do something more steady. I mean, that's the bottom line is he had to work. Yep. More he steadily. had to get back into the, uh, industry. I think he's going back into the television industry. 
And uh, it was kind of sudden, and we were muddling about. We were in a little bit of a free fall there for a while, but we do what firefighters do. And uh, we overcome, we adapt, and we overcome. And uh, we're putting together a team this time. So it's going to be more than one person. Uh, so we're going to be able to bang out a lot of content and uh, some uh, videos, some uh, live shows. That's really the problem, right? Who is we're retired and most of those, you know, producers or whoever they're working, you know, they got to, yep. they're still doing what they have to do. So this is, yep. a, it's a lot of work. People don't realize how much work this is. So yes, yes, uh, it is a lot of work. I said to the new guys coming in, that's why we're going to get more than one person because they have that annoying thing that gets in the way called a job. And uh, Louis and I don't have that really. Well, I mean, we have our business, but we can really set our own hours and, and, uh, Pete we lifted Pete. We lifted Pete. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pete, said, Pete said he will still put out the squadrumentary. He has all of it. Uh, he will be putting it out. We have uh, three other people who are coming in tonight. We have a producer on hand. We will refer to him as producer X tonight. As uh, we're not ready to unveil who our three people are that we're bringing in. But needless it's to be say. Big show. Are, big show. They are motivated, and uh, they are ready to go, and we are going to churn out some good guests and a lot of good content in 2023. But like I said... Joe hit uh, it right on the head. Life always get, gets in the way of fun. Doesn't it? It really does. <laughs> that's, 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 oh, shit. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, so before we get any further, Ruffy... Uh, let's get into our first commercial. So, uh, producer X, uh, as always, uh, the show couldn't be brought to you without uh, guys like New Jersey Fire. Established in 1930 and under the current ownership since 1987, the New Jersey Fire Equipment Company handles a complete line of fire department equipment and supplies. Headquartered in Greenbrook, the company operates full 3M Scott service facilities in Ridgefield Park and Toms River, staffed by 10 fully authorized Scott certified technicians with a fleet of six fully equipped service vans. All New Jersey fire technicians and sales representatives are active or retired firefighters, officers or chief officers, career and volunteer. They understand the business and the importance of their work. New Jersey Fire has represented Scott since Earl Scott entered the SCBA business at the end of World War II. Among other leading manufacturers represented by New Jersey Fire are Globe and Firedex Turnout Gear, Mercedes Hose, Task Force Tips and Akron Brass, Hygienol, Firehooks, Arctic Compressors, MSA Carnes Helmets, ChemGuard Foam, Alkalite and Duo Safety Ladders, BA Face Shield Protectors, Truckman's Choice Saws, Groves gear racks and washer dryers, SuperVac fans, RPI, Streamlight, and many others. A New Jersey incorporated and based company, sales and service are limited to the state of New Jersey. Find us now at www.njfe.com. That's www.njfe.com. See, I even get a little clamped. I get a little choked see up. See all the guys right in the chat. Thanks, Rev. Yeah, so guys, if you want your question answered uh, until we get this thing straight and the, the producer can say, I'm going to throw it out there. Hit the super chat. If you want your question, throw it up there. Throw it out there. And always, you know, 
The show is also brought to you by Getting Salty Apparel, GetSaltyApparel.com, where you'll find shirts, hats, glassware, poker chips, and the poker cards. The poker cards have been ordered. The chips are on their way, uh, and all that other swag. So head on over there, hit it up, check us out. Uh, so tonight we're going to be doing the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Say that five times fast. Holy so we Lord. brought it. We went right to the best. What yeah, if you're going to go, go to the go to the main guy. Big. Yeah. Don't ever try to circumvent them because Louis did that one time. Didn't work that way. Well. <laughs> <laughs> go right to the cross. Let's get uh, him in here. It was like this. Uh, yes, yes, Chief. Yes, yes Chief. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, Chief. Yes, Chief. No, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. He's probably and laughing. I was wrong. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and we have to work on getting the sound effects board. Oh. I don't know how. The new producers will be working on that. Uh, we'll announce them in future shows. So before that, uh, Producer X, let's get him out here, please. Chief J. Jonas. There well, he is. Oh, we don't have the... <laughs> we don't got the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you, Chief. Good to have you back again. Yes. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thank you. Right to the top dog, the top banana for the head he, honcho, the big cheese. The big cheese. He's been, uh, I could tell he's been excited about this because uh, the last couple of weeks we've been kind of going back and forth all the time. And I'm, I'm, I am I, love it that he's all excited about it. So uh, I like it. But first, it first, we got to get patriotic. We got to get patriotic because this is a patriotic show. So producer X, please, if you would, please. Uh, do us a patriotic favor and put up the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Again, I get overclimbed. All right, Chief, so take us back. We're going back to March 25th, 1911. I think yes. that's the year that Hank was born. But let's go back to 1911, <laughs> March 25th, and start us off. Give us the background. Well, first of all, March 25th is um, there's another historic fire that happened on that date, and that was the Happy Land Fire. So you had oh. two major life loss fires on that date. So if you work in March 25th, make a mutual. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a good day to work. <laughs> well, tap out. What a killer. <laughs> oh, um, I, um, I became interested in this fire way back when I was, before I got on the job, when I was uh, going to Orange County Community College. And uh, they were talking about uh, fires that affected, uh, still affect us today. And uh, they were talking a lot about Triangle, and they were talking about uh, the Coconut Grove fire in Boston. And uh, so those two fires always interested me. And uh, the um, Triangle fire um, is has gotten a lot of publicity over the years, a lot of documentaries and books and uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, but I always walked away from it with unanswered questions as of, you know, what did the fire department do here? You know, they had this major fire with tremendous life loss and nobody ever talks about the firemen. And uh, one day, you know, 
few years ago, I was in the office, came back from a job when I was scrolling around the computer looking, looking at pictures of fires. And uh, I saw this one picture of um, sidewalk deadlights uh, that are broken. Now, a deadlight is a, like a block of glass that's set in a frame and it allows uh, sunlight to go through these uh, blocks of glass to illuminate uh, a cellar. And uh, that's, um, they're very substantial. They're and, in concrete. Uh, they, they were broken from girls jumping from the upper floors of this building and breaking through the, um, the sidewalk deadlights. But right next to this, these broken sidewalk deadlights was a standpipe Siamese. And it looks like it, it'd be any standpipe Siamese that you would run into now. And I'm looking at it, I says, did they feed this Siamese? Did they put this, how did they put this fire out? Because you always see the iconic picture. Um, Shooting water with, from with, the street. With the um, master streams hitting the upper floors. And people are under the misconception that the fire department just used master streams to put this fire out. And that's completely and utterly false. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get into it as we, as we go along. Now, in 1911, uh, the New York City Fire Department had the most modern fire equipment that anybody had. Um, most of the fleet, the vast majority of the fleet, was horse-drawn. And um, the, uh, there was one motorized apparatus. They, they, they had begun the, uh, the process of um, converting to motorized apparatus. Uh, and... That was the first new engine that responded to the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. Oh, shit. Now, um, somebody in the in the chat uh, asked the question, "What's a shirtwaist?" So, well, <laughs> I'll explain that the Triangle was the name of the company, you know, the Triangle Company, and a shirtwaist is a blouse that um, uh, women used is. to wear uh, with a skirt. And, and that was a, uh, a fashion statement because be, before the shirtwaist, you know, for the most part, women wore just dresses, not a skirt and a, and a blouse. So, but that was called the shirtwaist. You know, it was funny, Chief. I think I told you that when, when I think of the triangle shirt factory, yeah, I thought the building was a triangle. <laughs> like I never, I never realized that that was the company. I always, for some reason, I don't know, it just stuck in my head right. that the building was a triangle. Yeah, what, like yeah, the yeah, like yeah. the flat iron building. Yeah, like the that, flat yeah. iron building, but it's sure. not yeah. obviously. The um, the uh, this motorized apparatus that engine seventy two had, um, was designed to work in concert with the the two year old high pressure pumping system for the high pressure hydrants, and um, uh, yeah, it used to be it used to have a a, a separate hose wagon and then you had a steamer and the steamer was the pumper well the the uh the high pressure pumping system aided in getting pressure to uh to the fire um but engine 72 was the uh, was the first to have a motorized apparatus in the fire department uh the chief of department who responded uh that day his name was edward croker and uh he had a uh I'm Never heard of him. <laughs> Chief's buggy, and the press called it the Red Ghost. But uh, the um, 
we get used to the uh, the situations that we have with our equipment and gear and everything. It was modern, but it was different at the time. Uh, there was no protective equipment. Uh, there were no self-contained breeding, breeding apparatus. There were no gloves. Uh, there was no bunker gear. Uh, you had coats, boots, and helmets. You, you know, guys had bare hands, and they were, you know, their hands got mangled quite frequently. Um, units were dispatched by the bells, by the telegraph, and there were no radios. You know, so if you're not in quarters, when, um, when a run came in, a box gets transmitted, you, you didn't get the run. You know, you just didn't go. Uh, in order to transmit higher alarms, uh, you had to go to the, uh, the closest fire alarm box. You opened it up, and, and there was a telegraph in the, in the alarm box, and you used to tap out second alarm for box 289. And um, uh, you would, you know, the, the, the terms that they used was, you know, tap out, uh, on an alarm, and obviously those terms are used today. If you're not available, you're tapping out. <laughs> That's where that came from. You know what? That's crazy. I did not know that. And uh, you know, tap in. You know, you you, you pull into quarters. You know, say tap, tap us in. Tap us in. Wow. That's crazy. That's where this came from. Yeah. Come on. That's um, crazy, Chief. I there did were two high-pressure pump, pumping stations. One uh, was on the east side. I'm not sure exactly where that was. And one was on the west side, right off the west side highway on Gansevoort Street. Um, That's like the meatpacking district. Yes. There, right? And that building was there until uh, I think they tore it down probably about five, six years ago. And uh, I used to say fire department pumping station on it. And they were part of the telegraph system. Dispatchers used, you know, multiple alarm. They would have to uh, alert the pumping station to gear up, you know, to get get the pumping going. Wow. And uh, scaling ladders and life nets were in use. They were they, were, they weren't collecting dust on the rig. That they, they were in, in use. So, um, which is even more yeah. insane. The, the um, yeah, there you go. Ladder. ladder right there. Scary yeah. ladder. <laughs> <Yeah>. Scary ladder. <laughs> and I those mean, were wood, obviously, back then. They went, they're not aluminum, yeah. so they were heavier, obviously, then. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, like you were, Paul Hashagan's book, A Distant Fire, has uh, some uh, uh, stories about scaling ladder rescues, and it's fascinating. So if you ever get an opportunity to read that book, it's, it's tremendous. Um, the, the fire building. It's not was the uh, was known at the time as the Ash Building. I guess an appropriate name for it. Yeah. And uh, where was that located, Chief? What street it was, was that? It was at on? the corner of Washington Place and Green Street in Lower Manhattan, about a block away from uh, uh, Washington Square Park, where the the, the giant arches. Uh, and uh, and it's still there today. Still there. It's in use. It's now. I can't believe how many times I must have passed that building. I had no yeah. idea that that's the freaking building. Now it's known as the Brown Building, and it's owned by NYU. And uh, if you ever get a chance to go there, there's plaques on on the uh, on the building, oh. and uh, again, very interesting. It, the uh, The building was constructed in 1901. It was made of concrete and steel, had wooden floors. It was 10 stories in height, and the Triangle Company occupied floors eight, nine, and ten. So far, and um, 
the building was 125 by 125. It was a big building. And the uh, building had two stairways, one on Washington Place side and one on the Green Street side. The Washington Place side was routinely locked to funnel the workers to, to the Green Street side so they could check their pocketbooks to make sure they weren't stealing. Uh, Come on. <laughs> so they weren't stealing fabric that they would sew at home, you know. Uh, the exits opened inward. Um, there was a real fire escape that was, you know, at the time there were no regulations on factory fire escapes. Uh, there was for tenements, like the, the, the fire escape that was at, uh, uh, at Triangle uh, would not have been acceptable for a, an old law tenement fire escape, but it, it was in use as a factory. Just too narrow, is it? Too narrow, not far away from the building. Um, the, uh, uh, the, you had iron gates that opened outward onto the fire escape. So once oh my God, yeah, that's the crazy. iron gates, it effectively blocked, blocked off the, uh, right, 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 right blocked right. off the, uh, fire escape. Um, the rear fire escape was 18 inches wide, 20 inches away from the building. The balconies were 14 and a half feet long and iron shutters blocked the fire escape. The fire escape, you know, the only fire escape in the building, terminated at the second floor on top of a skylight, which was the roof of the first floor. And this would be significant when this fire started. The, um, they That's had a pipe in both buildings, no sprinkler system, and no automatic alarm to the fire department. Uh, the eighth floor, just to give you an idea how the, this company operated, the eighth floor was the cutting floor. Was the uh, the cutting floor? They would lay out. They called it the lawn of uh, fabric, and they would they would cut the uh, the patterns out, and and then they would take all those cut pieces to the ninth floor, and they put all those pieces together. And the tenth floor was for shipping and offices for the company. Chief, um, what was on what was on the other? Were there a lot that many people on the lower floors as well? Like I, that, I I couldn't couldn't tell no. you. I don't know what the other occupancies were. Um, like I said before, it was 125 by 125, and there were no, there was no compartmentation. It wasn't uh, wide open or anything. There were four elevators in the building: two freight elevators on the Green Street side, and two cage-like passenger elevators on the Washington Place side. They all needed uh, elevator operators. Uh, this was a this was a modern factory. This this building was 10 years old uh it was oh, shit. it was not a sweatshop in, in the the truest sense sweatshops you know if you look at the uh very interesting book by jacob reese how the other half lives and and they show um a sweatshop was a was a flat noble tenement that they, they threw in a couple uh sewing machines and, and they were they were making garments out of old law tenement apartments and uh this had electricity. This wow. had, you know, the uh, the uh, the the occupants didn't have to use a treadle. You, know, you had electricity to drive the uh, uh, drive the sewing machines. If and, you would have asked me before this show, I would have thought it was a sweatshop, right? Yeah. I would have thought it was like a, the, the worst it case had, scenario. Had light. It had ventilation. It had windows. You know, so uh, wow. You know, it, it certainly wasn't you know a great place to work, but it was better than. Right. What was before that? What was before, you know, um, it had a roof tank for water. It had 5,000 gallons of water in this roof tank. 
and this um, uh, these still these wooden roof tanks. You know, you see them all over the roofs of, of Manhattan and Brooklyn and everything. They're, they're still being constructed. There's still a building. There's still a, a, a business that makes these roof tanks. Uh, it's in Ladder Six's administrative response area. We, we we did an inspection on it one time. It was fascinating how they put these together. And that's just for pressure, correct? Isn't that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that they put them on the roof. You see them all for sprinkler systems, not so much for standpipe. But the um, this tenth tenth floor building was at the time considered a high rise building. So, um, all right. So the, the preamble. This building was owned by two gentlemen who were immigrants from Eastern Europe, Max Planck <clears throat> and Isaac Harris. They, uh, they manufactured the shirtwaist garment and they were known as the shirtwaist kings. And um, uh, they had numerous fires in this building and other buildings they owned. And their, their, their fire prevention motto must have been, let's just buy more fire insurance and we'll, we'll make a profit on a fire. If they had a bad selling um, season, then uh, yeah, they have a fire, you know. Yeah, I saw in your newsletter, Chief, not to interrupt you, but some of the numbers that you had there, what they were collecting, that 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 are facts. You know, nineteen thousand in nineteen oh two, twelve thousand. These are these are big numbers too. That's oh, you know, compared back, to back today. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> little Jewish <throat> lightning, maybe back in the day. Oh, hoy. hey, what's going on here? Well, we got a <laughs> we had well, a slow uh, year. <laughs> so, like I said, this was they were considered the shirtwaist kings. They, uh, um, the shirtwaist garment was made famous by a, an illustrator named uh, Charles Gibson, and uh, his illustrations were called the Gibson Girls, and they made these shirtwaist garments to, to be uh, very popular. Um, they were, you know, with um, the second wave of industrialization. Uh, there was uh, some labor unrest uh, starting in 1909. Uh, in 1909, 1910, there was an industry-wide strike called the Uprising of the 20,000 People. Um, and they, these girls walked off the job and uh, they, had a, uh, they had a union and uh, the union was, didn't want them to go out on strike. And uh, they had this mass rally outside the Cooper Union Hall uh, in, in uh, Lower Manhattan, uh, I think it's on Fourth Avenue, and uh, uh, the uh, like I said, the union didn't want them to strike. But then this girl named Clara Lemlich gave a passionate speech, and she convinced everybody to have the strike. The union leaders didn't want them to go, uh, but they did. And uh, Triangle had a wildcat strike in 1908, but they didn't unionize. Many of their competitors did. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, now, the, the guy in charge of the New York City Fire Department is an interesting guy. Uh, his, his name was... Uh, the guys know his name still to this day. His name was Edward F. Croker. Um, he was appointed to the FDNY in, in 1884, February 22nd, 1884. 47 days later, he gets promoted to lieutenant, which was assistant foreman. Uh, <laughs> how did he do that? I, don't I think know. it was uh, a little more than that, maybe. I don't know. Maybe a little grease weezer? I don't no, know what was going know. on back in the what day. What was going on? In, and he uh, was promoted to captain, which was foreman, on February 25th, 1885, a year later. Come on. The guy's moving up, uh, so moving on up. In a year on the job. He's a probie captain. <laughs> but this was, the, uh, this was the era of patronage. Um, oh, this is the old boy three days. His, yeah, yeah, his Interesting. certainly was. And Boss um, Tweed was, uh, yeah, had his, uh, Edward F. Croker's uncle as one of his, one of his uh, star uh, pupils. Ah, uh, ah uh, guy. So, uh, guy. Uh, you know, like I said, it was the age of, um, the age of patronage. And uh, he was promoted to chief of department on June 29th. 1899 at the age of 35. Wow. So pretty, pretty talk about a rising star. Moving on. Yeah. Up is right. He's yeah. the first chief of department hired in the paid era. You know, he, he never, he was not in, in the volunteer uh, part of the New York city fire department, which ended in 1865. Um, Must've spent a lot of time at fire tech, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Studying his ass off. <laughs> the, um, but the uh, the newspapers, you know, there, there were you know twenty newspapers in New York City at the time. You know, they were look. Everybody's looking for a scandal, and uh, they saw Edward Croker rising so fast, and he did do some very good things. He was the one that got the um, uh, high pressure hump, uh, pumping system going and things like that, and modernized the fire department. Um, but they were, uh, knowing that the connection with Tammany Hall, they, um, uh, some shenanigans was afoot. They thought, absolutely. They thought shenanigans were afoot. They thought that he was using the, uh, um, he was using the, uh, the, the post of chief of department to, uh, rise through the ranks of the political ranks. And because, you know, 
being a fireman in those those days, there was no television, there was no YouTube, there was, you know, entertainment was, hey, there's a fire down the block, let's go check. <laughs> Unless you're Pete. <laughs> so, uh, so they all, you know, the the, uh, the tabloids were kind of like accusing him of that he was using this as a stepping stone. And uh, that pro produced Edward F. Croker's famous speech in rebuttal to these newspapers accusing him of using his office to get political. Uh, I have no ambition. Rising in the world. And the speech is, I'll read it. It's great. If, if, you, if you're not living this, then you don't have no business being in the fire department. I have no ambition in this world but one, and that is to be a fireman. The position may in the eyes of some appear, appear to be a lowly one, but we who know the work which a fireman has to do believe that this that his is a noble calling. There is an adage which says that nothing can be destroyed except by fire. We strive to preserve from the destruction the wealth of the world, which is the product of the industry of men, necessary for the comfort of both the rich and the poor. We are defenders of far from fires of which has beautified the world, the product of the genius of men and the means of refinement of mankind. But above, above all, our proudest endeavor is to save the lives of men, the work of God himself. Under the impulse of such thoughts, the nobility of the occupation thrills us and stimulates us to deeds of daring, even at the supreme sacrifice. Best line. Such con considerations may not strike the average mind, but they are sufficient to fill the limit of our ambition in life and to make us serve the general purpose of human society. He gave that speech in 1910. Wow. Uh, not, only, not, not only was he going to Tammany Hall, he was going to English class too, because I couldn't yeah. write that. <laughs> I couldn't write anything like oh, that. that. That line, when we first, when we first started the, the shirts and the company back oh, in we the put 14, it on a shirt, right? We, that was, under the impulse of such thoughts, the nobility of the occupation thrills us and stimulates us to deeds, deeds of, daring, of daring, even at the even at the chance of supreme sacrifice. That, to me, that is Stunning. like Stunning it's incredible word. to put that into words. It's like yeah. Theodore Roosevelt, you yeah. know, his the man in the arena. It's the same yeah. staring, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he, he's writing that, and I'm writing stupid Chief Steve songs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chief Steve, <laughs> this guy's writing something that lasts for a century. You know? Now, um, on November 25th, 1910, there was a factory fire in Newark, New Jersey, High Street Garment Factory, which was the Wolf Muslin Armor Garment, other garment company. And uh, 25 women were trapped on the fourth floor, six burned to death, 19 jumped and were killed. And then another 40 were injured. Uh, this horrified Chief Croker because he could see the writing on the wall says, this is coming our way, you know. And uh, um, he, uh, he warned the, the alderman and, and the mayor that a fire as deadly as this can come to New York City. Um, uh, and uh, an alderman named Ralph Folks proposed legislation to improve fire safety in uh, in factories in New York City, and it passed four months before the fire. Wow. Um, I didn't know the that. Uh, the chief Chief Croker and the fire commissioner, his name was Rhinelander Waldo, argued for the installation of sprinklers in factories and warehouses right up until the time wow, of the that's fire. Crazy. 
Uh, if if you if that name sounds familiar to you, Rhinelander or Waldo, it was a um, it was James Cagney's last role in the movies. It was a movie called Ragtime, and uh, his his character was Rhinelander Waldo, and he was a police commissioner at the time. And uh, so if you ever get a chance to see the movie, it's James Cagney's last, uh, last role. All right. So, uh, so so Chief Croker, after this fire in Newark, he's pushing for, he sees that it's going to happen here. And he's pushing yes. for all this stuff. And then the bill gets passed. It gets passed. Right and they, they don't enforce it. That's crazy. And, and he's like he was, he was looking at the time, into the future. He was apoplectic. He was he was down at City Hall all the time trying to get the you know fire safety and like I said he was trying to get the installation of fact of sprinklers in factories and warehouses and uh, and that's only uh, a few like you said it's only a few months before right like that's crazy he must it was like he was looking into a crystal ball <laughs> yeah um, holy shit all right so we're on to a couple months later Saturday March twenty fifth nineteen eleven. It's the day of the of, of triangle. Uh, it was a nice early spring day. People were strolling in Washington Square Park. Triangle building is about a uh, a block away. Uh, it was payday, so they were, they were happy. Um, it was uh, four thirty in the afternoon, and it was closing time at Triangle. Uh, they Joseph Wexler was rang the quitting bell on the eighth floor. He was uh, at the Green Street exit. The other exit was locked. And uh, to check check everybody's pocketbook, make sure they weren't stealing thread or something like that, you know. And then uh, Eva Harris, who was um, uh, Isaac Harris's relative, I don't know if it was his sister or, or what, uh, smelled smoke and spotted flames. Uh, she yelled fire and she told Samuel Bernstein, the uh, the factory manager, about the fire. Um, the fire, uh, several people tried to put the fire out with pails of water and not effective, absolutely not effective. The fire, you know, as we all know, you know, if, if you've been in the fire service for any length of time, the fire's not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. And this was getting bigger quickly. And closed fires are like, the, I mean, there was nothing worse than going to the laundromat or any of those fires. Those things would right. knock the heck out of you, man. Right. And it was, um, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, the, the the garments that were on fire were all the cut-up garments that were underneath the tables, you know, so they were in smaller pieces. And these, these things were igniting like crazy. Um, like kindling. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, um, the fire extended rapidly and the, the house hose lines didn't work. I saw something recently that they, they said the hose lines were rotted. And uh, that's mm. possible, you know. Uh, uh, this this guy um, Samuel Bernstein told uh, Lewis Brown and one of the employees to get the girls out. Uh, they opened the windows leading to the rear fire escape, and they couldn't walk open the Washington Place exit door. Um, a woman named Dana Lifshitz stayed at her desk and used a telephone that had a tell autograph feature to it. And a telautograph feature is if you write something with this machine, it transmits that, you know, an early version of a fax machine. And that went to the 10th floor to the uh, 
to the boss's uh, floor, the tenth floor. Um, <coughs> nobody picked up on the uh, telautograph machine, so she called the tenth floor and says, "You know, uh, tell them that we have a fire here on the eighth floor." And uh, the woman who picked up the phone said, "Yes, okay, we got it. We got a fire on the eighth floor." Nobody notified the ninth floor. You know, the, the, the eighth floor knew. You know, that's where the fire started. Now the tenth floor knew. Nobody told the nobody told the ninth floor. Um, the fire escape became overcrowded quickly. Uh, they um, they were trying to get down, and, and it was it was bedlam. They broke into the sixth floor when they could, just to escape from that, from the from the uh, being overcrowded on the fire escape, and they made escape into the sixth floor. And they were still panicking, even though the fire was above them. Um, there were two elevator operators, Joseph Zito and Gaspar Mortalio. The Ginzos. I know it had to be two guineas. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> these these cage-like elevators, obviously, they, they weren't confined. You know, the, you know, you could see outside the cage. Uh, they were designed to carry 15 people, and they carried twice that number every time they went up and down. Um, every time he passed the 8th floor, he saw fire and smoke. Uh, then he made one trip to the 10th floor. And everything else was to the 9th floor. Um, How many people were in the building at the time, Chief? 500. It, it, just in Triangle. I'm not sure what was going on on the other floors. You know? So 500 in those three floors, yeah. 8, 9, and 10. Yeah. So... Um, as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This uh, guy from, from uh, who was told to get the girls out went outside the building and tried to open the, uh, the stairway on the Washington Place side and... Uh, he was having trouble doing that. Um, so everybody had to come all the way across the floor to go to the other exit because the other that the exit on the one side Washington place was was out was of service. locked closed locked closed. The the owners Blank and Harris were told about the fire. Smoke could be seen rising quickly above past them. You know they could look out the windows and, and 
fast moving smoke was going past their floor. Um, everybody wow, on the crazy. 10th floor, except for one person, went fled to the roof. You know, there was there was the uh, the Green Street side had a um, uh, had a stairway bulkhead, and uh, everybody on the 10th floor, except for one person made it to the roof and got out and they went to adjoining roofs and that's how they got out. Wow. <clears throat> the last trips of the elevator. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. There were 250 people on the ninth floor and they were not notified about the fire until it was too late. Um, the last trips of the elevator girls were jumping onto the roof of the car and they slid down the elevator cables. Holy shit. The uh, both of these elevator operators saved about 150 people uh, doing what they were doing. The um, the fire escape was obstructed and overcrowded. Smoke and heat enveloped the fire escape, and the, the flames were encroaching upon anybody on the fire escape. There was a a 16 year old kid named uh, Abe Gordon, and there was a log jam of people on this fire escape because they couldn't get past the. Uh, the uh, uh, iron gates leading out onto the fire escape. And he kind of shimmied off the side of the fire escape and he got past the log jam of people and he uh, he made it to the sixth floor and he had one foot in the sixth floor and one foot on the fire escape and he heard this loud noise behind him and it was the fire escape collapsing. And all these girls, there was 25 girls who fell when the fire escape collapsed and uh, they were they were all on fire when they when the holy shit. And you know, like I, I talked about that's the the, uh, the fire escape terminated at the um, the first uh, floor at, roof. At the first floor roof. And these girls fell through the the skylight and uh, started a fire down. Started there. a fire on the first. Holy floor. shit! And. Uh, there was also some. Um, um, That's fucking crazy, man. Wrought iron fencing with, with with spikes on it, and a lot of these, several of these girls got impaled, jumping uh, onto this uh, onto this iron fence. So that kid, that kid made it, obviously. He made, it, yeah, and, and you know, obviously he, he told the story about what. Holy shit! Fire escape collapsing. So those people thought, like, I'm on the fire escape. At least. Yeah. What, what was the reason? It was just. Uh, was just too much weight, too many people on the thing. I'm gonna, I would assume, or just the well, fire yeah, impinged it, on it. It was, it was just loaded with people, and they couldn't get down. And they might have been all going towards one end to try to yeah, escape yeah, the yeah, flames. Yeah, yeah. And... So, um, what a shame. Chief, somebody wants to know how, how much pressure could a steamer build. It seems like a lot of. I don't know. The um, uh, the high pressure pumping system. They uh. They activated the uh, the system, and uh, they they pressurized it to 200 psi. And by the time the you know the dropped a little pressure getting to Washington Place and Green Street, it was down to 150 psi. And you know, Coops, you were you were an MPL. I was not. You got 150 pounds of pressure on a hydro. You were doing pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rig was bouncing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there was. Uh, I saw this one documentary. I think it was on HBO, and one of the historians says, "Well, the fire department didn't have enough pressure." I said, "Quite cool bullshit on that." <laughs> <laughs> <Call> bullshit. <laughs> <Yeah>. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
So, uh, um, so finally, go ahead, Chief. Two eight nine is transmitted. It was transmitted. Oh my God! At four forty-five. Oh my God! How long is that? Fifteen minutes after. Oh my Was first spotted. Fifty-five oh. What's that? Fifty minutes. Fifteen. Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes after. So you had a tremendous delayed alarm by them trying to put the fire out by themselves. And um, engine 72, 33, 13, 18, hook and ladder 20, and battalion 3 responded. Um, the, the, soon after that box was transmitted, the dispatchers started getting multiple sources that you know they had a serious fire. You know, some somebody did pull an alarm box inside the building. And that was connected to a central station, but there was no automatic uh, alarm. And uh, and telephones were were a thing then. You know, telephones were up and running. So that's how we transmitted uh, progress reports was uh, via telephone. Um, people started showing at windows on the ninth floor, and uh, that was the one floor that um, uh, didn't receive notification about the fire. Um, there was a New York City patrolman, NYPD patrolman named James Mean was shouting to the women at the windows to stay calm. Fire sirens could be heard and there were shouts, you know, call a fireman, save us, get a ladder. The people started jumping before the FDNY arrived. Uh, 72 engine motorized arrived first due. The flames were coming out of every window on the eighth floor on the Washington Place side of the building. They hooked up to the high-pressure hydrant, grabbed their rolled-up lengths of hose, and they they went to work. You know, so there you go. You know, this 1911, they're grabbing their roll-up lengths, they're hooking up to the Siamese, and, and we're going in the building. It was, you know, we didn't invent this. You know, we didn't invent the. Uh, this, you know, since 1970, you know, uh, stamp pipes and, you know, and Siamese's and hydrants and everything that that was all in effect back in 1911. Um, That's crazy to think that they, too. They, uh, en engine 33 responded from their firehouse on Great Jones Street, which is their quarters still today. Uh, ironically, Chief, Chief of Department Edward Croker lived in that firehouse. That's where he lived. Yeah, we get an opportunity to go there. The, the, the layout where the company offices are, Nine Truck is there now too. They weren't there at the time. Um, that uh, uh, you could see the layout of it was his, his own apartment in the uh, 33 engine. Um, I think they got the highest pole holes on the job, right? Is that 33 yeah. and nine? Yeah, they got it. That's a beautiful firehouse. That yeah. place. Yep. Chief, how did the fire start? Did they did they know how it started? Uh, careless smoking. <laughs> Again, we didn't invent anything new here, you know. No, nah, there's not. It's a uh, hundred years. Uh, yeah. Things yeah. are still done the same way. Yeah, like about. like when uh, my my last episode on uh, we were talking about uh, doing building inspection in Chinatown and garment factories, and I saw to see twenty cigarette butts on the floor near this one station. I said, "You're smoking in a factory." He says, "No, I'm not." So you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> I call bullshit again. <laughs> so, uh, like smoking in a woodworking shop, right? I I mean, come yeah, on, yeah. give me a break, would you? You're so, killing me uh, here. 
Edward G. Worth, Battalion 3, was the first two battalion chief. Uh, he responded from his firehouse, which was the old fireman's hall on 155 Mercer Street. He arrived at uh, uh, 447, you know, two minutes, two minutes response time. He got there. The eighth floor was fully involved. The ninth floor showed heavy smoke and flame showing with auto exposure uh, endangering people showing at the ninth floor windows. He had his aide, Fireman Stapleton, go to the alarm box and transmit the second alarm. Again, he has to go use his key, his alarm box key, and tap out a second alarm for box 289. And the second alarm was transmitted at 448. So uh, three minutes. Right yeah, yeah, three yeah. minutes after the box was transmitted. The Gansevoir pumping station raised the pressure to in their high-pressure hydrants to 200 PSI. The uh, at 4.50 hours, the tiny chief worth telephoned the dispatcher's office. And uh, all he said was, all companies are working, looks bad. Talk about it on the state. Didn't do too good there, Ruff. He was in shock. Yeah, that guy Looks must bad. be like shocked. Can I mean, you imagine the people falling after out of that building? After he cleaned his underpants out, he's checked in. I mean, I, I never saw the pictures, but just some of the pictures that the chief had of the of the people on the ground there was incredible, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was, um, you know, it, it was, like I said, it was uh, an understatement of words. You know, the... Uh, Think of what these what was going on here. These guys were trying to fight this fire. They're hooking up to hydrants and standpipe siamesis as people are raining down around them. And and they're on fire when they're jumping, they're on fire. They didn't say, Well, it's time for a stroll. They were forced out because their clothing caught on fire. Yeah. And so they were coming down like flaming comets. You know, it was one of the guys, uh, one of the recollections that I read. Um Thirteen engine arrived, and they, they were the thirteen engine used to be stationed with twenty truck, and they came from Mercer Street. And um, a man was threatening to jump out the out of the ninth floor windows. Chief Worth told him not to, and he ordered engine thirteen to um, charge their deck pipe and hit the overhang from the facade to create a water curtain. And um, you know, to prevent these people from jumping. So all those pictures you see with master streams going up, that was try. They were trying to keep right. people from jumping and create a water curtain. Right, 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 right. You know, right. They they didn't have a good angle to penetrate into the windows, so they were just trying to keep them. From you know jumping. what? It's funny, Chief, because when you look at that picture, your first thought is, "What are those guys doing there? They're not doing anything. They're not hitting anything, right?" But right. that makes sense now that all those people were hanging out the window there. They were putting some right. water on them. Um, 13 engines deck pipe was charged to 120 feet, 125 PSI, and the man did jump after telling him not to, and uh, it seemed to encourage other people to jump. Um, 20 yeah. truck, 20 truck, um, um, they, uh, they were in the middle of some, some of the most historic fires in the history of the fire department. Um, you know, there are, you know, first do truck at this, they were, uh, at, um, oh, what's the name? I just, uh, it'll go Worcester street. They were in the middle of Worcester street. And, uh, um, you know, cause that's, that's where the, uh, 
that's where Flyers were king was in lower Manhattan. You know, that's, that's where you had a lot of factories and, and uh, things, you know, a lot of bad fire problems there. Um, John that's how the city was built, right? Uh, Chief, the city was built downtown up. So those are the oldest oh, buildings right, from right. downtown. You had... Um, As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, John Kenlon, who was the successor to Croker, uh, when he was captain, he was the captain at 20 truck. And he would go to the, to, uh, you know, the recruits, you know, the probie school. And he, he tried to find the biggest fireman he could possibly find. Uh, to to fight the fires in these loft tenements, these loft buildings, these loft factories, and uh, twenty trucker in the name Kenlon's Giants. That's where that term came from. Huh. Um, ladder twenty arrived in two minutes. They had a two-year-old Seagrave horse-drawn eighty-five-foot aerial ladder. It was the tallest aerial ladder in, at the time in the New York City Fire Department. They arrived. They. they that they made a turn onto Washington Place, and they almost flipped the rig. They were going so fast, and um, the crowd was was yelling at them, "Raise the ladder! Raise the ladder!" Uh, they they cranked the. Uh, I was going to say the- that's the one you had to crank, right? Yeah, and. Um, oh my God! There was a girl out a window waving a handkerchief. The ladder reached the sixth floor and it stopped, and one person in the crowd yelled out, "Raise the ladder!" But the ladder was at full extension. The girl was on the ledge and she stopped waving her handkerchief. Her clothes caught fire and she jumped for the area ladder, which was 30 feet away. She missed the area ladder and fell to the sidewalk like a flaming comet. Oh, my goodness gracious. And uh, Battalion Chief Worth ordered Ladder 20 to de- deploy their life net. And uh, members of 33 engine assisted. And, you know, it took like eight guys to deploy this light. Right, a lot of manpower, right? Yep. And they used to have to hold it underhand, and it, it would come down, and your arms would give. You know, if you held it the other way, you take your shoulder out of the socket. Um, hmm. My dad actually made a grab up a twenty-eight truck in nineteen sixty using the life net. 
the life night that, that they yeah. were still in effect when uh, I came on the job. Yeah, 1960. Uh, that, that that was a class in probate school. The the pole and the net. Yeah, the, <laughs> the scaling ladder. I did the scaling ladder. I did the scaling ladder. I didn't do the net. The scaling ladders. It was a. There was. A, I think it was probably still out there. They they taught you how to slide the pole, and they used the same platform. They deployed the net, and everybody held the net, and the guys, everybody jumped into the net. And um, I was I was in twenty. I was in four. Was I in twenty seven truck at the time, when they took took all the life nets out of service. So uh, that's interesting. How like, how much of a, a push to the engine did they make a push on the uh, on the uh, interior? Or they didn't. Oh yeah, that, uh, they oh, did. Yeah. So we're we're, uh, we're getting, we're getting, getting oh, it. Oh okay. Let me give me. Um, so anyway, thirty three engine assisted. They caught one girl. They tipped the net and told her to go across the street. She walked ten feet and she collapsed. Um, a woman named Freda Velikowski landed on the net and was taken to NYU Hospital. She regained consciousness hours later. She died later that day. They caught about as many people as they could. They used the net until it broke. Holy shit. Wow. Scaling ladders were not effective because they couldn't put them up while people were jumping all around them. They couldn't do it. You know, I'm assuming those nets weren't, weren't those nets weren't made for ten stories or nine stories, obviously, right? I mean, absolutely not. Uh, they um, they were designed for five stories. Yeah, right. And these big, these girls are jumping from the ninth floor. Yeah, no way. Yeah, repeatedly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe at the same time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, women were appearing at windows were being pushed by girls behind them who were on fire inside the building. Um, engine 18 arrived. They saw heavy fire on the 8th and ninth floors. They positioned their apparatus on a hydrant. They hooked up to a Siamese while people were hitting all around them as they were hooking up to the Siamese. Uh, the captain of engine 18 was a, a guy named Howard Rush, and he ordered the use of their life net. Soon as, as soon as it was open, three bodies hit the net at once. Uh, the fireman's hands bled, and they were catapulted once the, the, the weight of the, the uh, girls jumped from the ninth floor, and they were catapulted into the net. The nets caught fire. These girls were on fire, and they are jumping, so the nets were catching on fire. That's crazy, man. And the battalion chief Worth stopped the net operation at um, uh, 4.53. And they had to remove the nets from the area because if you look at the pictures of a net and there's a big red bullseye in the center of it, and if you're looking down on it, you know, you think, well, oh, there's a net. I could jump into the net, but they'd be jumping onto the pavement. Oh, shit. So they had to take the nets out of the area. Uh, like we just Did any of us, do we lose any guys getting hit by, by people falling? Not at this far. I don't know if, if we had any other time. Yeah. But, um, so. That I know at the trade center we lost that guy right off the bat, right from the person that fell. You know, yeah. you know what we were saying, and I don't want to like what Coos was doing before. I don't want to jump the gun, but you were saying that, like in years, you know, throughout history, you know, you get these guys that came back from war and they were kind of battle tested, right? So nothing would really shock them, right? So, right. you know, throughout you know the Vietnam era, you know, we talk about guys in the in the, in the war years here, firewise, yeah. those guys seen everything that you couldn't shake them. These right. guys at 1911, like you said in the in the pre-show, these guys hadn't been to, you know, there were guys that haven't been to war since the Civil War, right? right? So these guys are all, they show up here, they're there for 
10 minutes and it's it's absolute it's horrific it's it's yeah. the worst thing you could ever probably see in your life there going i couldn't on. imagine pulling up to this today and seeing yeah. what was unfolding in front of them I was okay we got this let's go <laughs> yeah and you had a building collapse around you you know yeah. what i mean like it's uh and, and you couldn't imagine these things happening where people are jumping on fire right. all around you and right. uh you know you can't get um, enough manpower with the nets, people were jumping two, three, and four at a time. Uh, like I said, the girls were jumping around fire, and then uh, the force of someone jumping jumping nine floors was eleven thousand pounds. Um, wow! Seventy-two engine was the first uh, engine to stretch a line into the Washington Place stairway. They were delayed by fleeing occupants. They were coming down there trying to go up, and it was. Where were they? Where were they at at that time, Chief? Where was seventy-two engine? Because they're up in the Bronx now, right? You know, they're in the Bronx now. They were like they were close. They were they were a few blocks away from uh, from Triangle. They were in Lower Manhattan at the time. Okay, Uh, I'm thinking Twelfth Street. Uh, I think that's where they were. And uh, yeah, that's a great picture. Oh my god! You know, high pressure uh, pumping engine. You know, and uh, motorized and you know. The department don't have to tend to the horses in the middle of the night, <laughs> and uh, clean up know, the horse shit. <laughs> that was progress. That was progress. Yeah. And uh, so they stretched a the line. They connected the two and a half inch fo- rolled up lengths of hose to a seven floor standpipe outlet, and they advanced it to the eighth floor. Uh, Lieutenant Maloney yelled to Fireman Foley, "Start water!" And that you know, no handy talkies. It's he's yelling, "Start water!" And uh, 72 engine continued operating on the eighth floor until ordered off the floor. They left the floor at 6.45. Wow. So they're operating all that time. They'll operate for a while there. Because yeah. Their ass is kicked in, yeah. man, no doubt. Again, no no masks. No masks, no nothing. No gloves, right? No gloves. <laughs> man, no gloves. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, I was told uh, anecdotally from... Uh, Guys were bro- broken in in, in uh, 46 and 27. That how they got the guys to wear gloves uh, in the fire department is when you're picking up the hose ones after it, you, you just dragged it through dog crap. You know? Yeah, <laughs> horse shit, dog shit, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that, that, that made the guys put on gloves. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, fire horses, the horses, how they got into uh, – um, how they got to the fire. They were freaking out from the smell of blood and the sound of the girls jumping. It was, it was like gunshots. I had to spook the horses. Yeah. So the horses were freaking out. So they uh, they had to release their hitching pins and they, they had to take them away from the fire or else they'd be running through the streets of Manhattan. Um, at uh, 455 hours of fire extended to the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors. Battalion Chief Worth of the 3rd Battalion had Fireman Stapleton transmit the 3rd along. The bodies were starting to pile up on Green Street. They covered hose lines. Engine 18 had to move bodies before they could begin their operation. I was going to say that, that you probably had to do that. Yeah. 18 engine went up the Green Street stairway and flaked out the hose on the 8th floor. An attack was made on their stomachs and knees. The heat was intense. And they had to knock the fire down the eighth floor before going to the ninth floor. Um, some just, victims we mentioned earlier, 
jumped and broke sidewalk deadlights and ended up in the cellar. They started fire in the cellar where rabbit's furs were stored, you know, which is, so you got a full blown cellar fire too. Chief, somebody asked what hose line that, that they were using at that time. I saw in your, in your thing here, I'm looking at it. It was two and a half inch. Two and a half, two and a half inch lines. Yeah. Which again, operated two and a half inch line for five minutes. These yeah. guys were operating two and a half inch line for <laughs> with, with no gloves, with no gloves all that time. Yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. And, and that was a high pressure hose, too. Yeah, a high pressure pumper. Um, 33 engine hooked up to the standpipe outlet on the sixth floor. They had difficulty advancing past 72 engine due to the heat. They made it to the ninth floor and they were the first unit to make it to the ninth floor. Fireman Felix Reinhardt said it was a blazing mass, one roaring mass of flames. As they advanced their hose line, engine 33 found nine to 10 bodies near the Washington Place stairway door. Um, this, you, you, you can envision this happening. At um, Those pictures of well, the deadlights are, are incredible. With yeah. The, oh, yeah. yeah. That's incredible to knock those things out. I mean, I've walked on those things. You always try to look through those things. That, yeah. I mean, that's concrete there. You know what yeah. I mean? It's Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Um. At uh, 4.57, a burning fire victim jumped from the ninth floor and got hung up on an iron hook outside the building. This hook was attached to the exterior. And she's just dangling there, burning. Oh, my God. For about a minute. It was like a horror film for crying out loud. Until she finally fell to the sidewalk. She was the last of the fire victims to jump. Um. The fire was knocked down at uh, 5.03, hours. Deputy Chief John Vins at the, of the 1st Division arrived at the fire. He transmitted a fourth alarm at, at 17.10, and later a fifth alarm would be transmitted. So how uh, overall, what was the overall time then? Not, not, not that much. Well, the, whole... the fire was placed under control. Excuse me, at 17.15. The box was transmitted at 16.45. So they were under control in 30 minutes. Yeah, that's that seems like I thought this was going on forever. This, I thought it went on for days. <laughs> you know, yeah. Again, they, they didn't have masks. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have gloves. You know, they didn't have towel ladders. They didn't have, you know. They How didn't the hell have did they do that so fast? Because that's what they, men do, baby. I got they, that shirt they, on. Oh, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I thought I would. Wait a minute. Nope. <laughs> they had this under control in 30 minutes, which is fascinating. That is fascinating to me. If all, if there was fire on all floors and people were jumping right. on fire. Three like, floors of fire and 125 by 125. So those guys up there made an incredible push up there. They put this fire out. Yeah. Like, they this fire down. Like I said, the uh, it's... You know what it is? I went through a lot of the same material that all these historians went, went through. And uh, they read something, and if they're not a fireman, it may mean nothing to them. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, even the times, you know, like, oh, it was under control in, you know, 30 minutes. It's just, that's incredible, 30 minutes. That really is. I mean, we, we get one-room fires that are, you know, under control in, you know, yeah. 15 minutes, for God's sakes. This had, they, yeah. they had fire on three fucking floors here. Right, with the bodies jumping. And the cellar. I and mean, the, they got all and, those pictures and there. The, and the first floor. And, uh, you know, delayed alarm. And uh, mm-hmm. 
but there were no boards. It was uh, all open. It was all all open, and um, you know, had so to be you hot had that, as a mother up there. You man. had that initial rush That's of fire crazy. with all the garments and everything, and and then they put water on it. The fire went out. That's so, interesting. Um, One forty six people in thirty minutes. Twenty truck entered the Washington Place site. They the stairway. They found nineteen bodies that jumped into the elevator shaft. Nineteen girls were killed jumping into the elevator shaft. You know, like that cage elevator we were talking about. Nineteen girls were killed in that elevator. Oh my shaft. God! What a disaster. Um, around uh, five o'clock, seventeen hundred hours, an enormous crowd showed of ten thousand people outside. Uh, they came up from the Lower East Side, and uh, by 1900 hours, the size size of the crowd doubled to 20,000. The police lines were at their breaking point. Um, 20 truck went to the ninth floor after removing the bodies from the elevator shaft at around 1810. They found 11 bodies near the dressing room behind the dressing room door. There were three bodies. At the height of the fire, there were 10 hand lines operating and at least two master streams. There were 35 pieces of equipment at the fire. Um, secondary searches were led by Chief of Department Edward Croker at 1820 hours, and he was shaken by what he saw. He came down, and his, his they said his lips were uh, quivering. Um, at 1845 hours, they finally rigged a block and tackle to lower bodies from the upper floors to the street. Yeah, well, we do have a picture of that someplace in that stack, you know, the uh, lowering of the bodies with the block and tackle. Um, Get that producer X. They, they special call the searchlight unit. Uh, you know, they were so engrossed. So it's like what happened on 9-11, so engrossed in what we were doing. We forgot it was going to go, you know, the sun was going to set. It yeah. was going to be dark soon, you know. And... Uh, they started the lowering operation at 1900 from the ninth floor. As the bodies were being lowered, the searchlight beam followed them down, and the lowering operation was done at uh, 2000 hours. At 2000 hours, the Edison Company strung arc lights within the buildings. I can't believe how fast things are happening here. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, the fire started like a couple hours ago. You know what I mean? Like, right. this is incredible. By 2015, the lights inside the building were turned on, so they had arc lights within the building. Um, the NYPD started tagging the bodies once they were lowered to the ground, and personal items were placed in the coffin for to help identify these people. You know, some of them were uh, burned beyond recognition. Um, at 2015 hours, Battalion Chief Edward Worth was in the building, and he could hear faint cries coming from the cellar, along with hook and ladders five and three. They found another victim who was alive, and his name was Hyman Michelle. Only his head was above water. He was stained, and he was crazed because you know his hands. He had slid down the uh, the elevator cable, cable and uh, so his hands were all mangled, and and uh, he was he he was there, he was in uh, in uh, water up to, up to his chin. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Chief Worth, you know, used the famous line. So we didn't even invent this. Like, we're, we're here from the government. We're here to help you, you know. And <laughs> that's what he told me, you know. Um, and that, you know that, what uh, strikes me too, Chief, is how he said the effect that it had on Croker. It must have been, 
even more that dramatic for him because he knew it was coming. He called it. He tried to prevent it. And he had a vision. He yeah. could see it coming and there's the train down the tracks and here it comes. Yeah. Coming. You know. Um, at sundown, there were still 30 bodies on the sidewalk. Pier 26 was utilized as a makeshift morgue. This was the same pier that was used for the General Slocum fire that killed 1,021 people from uh, a lot of from a lot of whom came from the same Lower East Side neighborhoods as these people came from. That's the picture there, that's Chief the of picture. That's the, the them. blocking yeah. tackle lowering bodies Holy down shit, that's crazy. from the ninth floor. Um, in the early morning hours, the bodies of two more women were found in the cellar during a dewatering operation. They crashed through the sidewalk on the Green Street side. They were hanging from steam pipes behind the boiler, and they were mangled beyond recognition. Um, 146 people died at Triangle. Approximately 52 jumped, 33 of them on the Green Street side. Approximately 50 people burned to death on the ninth floor. You never heard about that. You know, the, yeah, everybody just associates with the, with the girls with jumping. And 50 people burned to death on that floor. Um, 19 people died from jumping on top of the elevator car, and 25 people died when the rear fire escape collapsed. All fatalities were from the ninth floor, the one floor that wasn't notified, except for one. Clotilda Turdanova panicked and jumped from the 10th floor, so she was the only non-ninth floor fatality. Um, it's tremendous, you know, tremendous uh event in our history um a week after the fire funerals were taking place all over the lower east side of manhattan every block south of 10th street between second avenue and avenue c seems to have lost someone funeral processions were common push cart vendors would stop their banter and would bow their heads as a funeral would pass a funeral director had as many as eight funerals at the same time on march 28th um, there were still seven unidentified bodies. The International Lady Garment Workers Association, the ILGWA, voted to have a mass funeral for them. The city uh, stated that all seven would be buried in Evergreen Cemetery, and they denied them to have the bodies. The, uh, the union voted to have the funeral without the bodies, and it would be held on April 5th at 1 o'clock. April 5th was a pouring rainstorm. The funeral started in, in two locations. One was on uh, 4th Avenue and East 22nd Street, and the other would start at Seward Park, which is at the corner of Canal Street and East Broadway in the Lower East Side, right near 6th Trump. Both processions would make their way up to Washington Square Park. The Lower East Side procession stopped at Mott and Broom Street because the FDNY was operating at a tenement fire at that location. Uh, there were 400,000 mourners at this mass funeral, one-tenth of the city's population. It was, you know, you see the pictures of that. Driving rainstorm, you see a sea of umbrellas and, you know, 400,000 people at this funeral. Um, Fire Marshal William Beers testified to the Factory Investigating Commission on November 17, 1911. The fires were started by a careless use of match by one of the cars. Um, this is, I just wanted to, I don't know if you went past this, Chief. At the 100-year anniversary of the fire, 
a researcher named Michael Hirsch identified yes. the six unclaimed fire victims. This is out of your uh, yes. newsletter. They are Josephine Camerata, 17, Dora Evans, 18, Max Florian, 23, Maria Luletta, 33, Conchetta, 22, and Fanny Rosen, 21. So when you think about these women, you know, my daughter's 22. You they know what I mean? Kids. Like when you think about the, yeah, they were all kids. I think uh, the oldest person to die was 46 years old. The other ones were, you know, mostly early teens. The majority of women, right, Chief, it looks like? Yeah, and uh, mostly uh, Jewish and Italian. You know, um, I think there was only uh, 23 men. The rest were women. Yeah. Wow. So, um, the alderman, Ralph Folks, who passed that legislation four, four weeks before uh, Triangle, he was asking, what happened to that legislation? He says, I don't know. I never heard of it again. There you go. There you go. Well, the, uh, the owners of the building in the building at the time, or they weren't there? I'm sorry, what now? The owners of the building, were either one of them on the premises when the fire started? They were both there. As a matter of fact, Harris, uh, Isaac Harris had his two daughters with him. Uh, it was a Saturday and uh, uh, they all escaped. They were on the 10th floor and they went up the stairway. To the roof? To the roof. So, huh. um, interesting tidbit. Chief of Department Edward F. Croker retired on May 1st, 1911. Wow. Less than, less than two months after the triangle. Uh, he was frustrated by the red tape of getting fire safety legislation passed. He started the Croker National Fire Protection Engineering Company. And his company still exists. Still exists today. Wow. So, I didn't know that he retired right after that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the... Uh, Fire Commissioner Ryan Lander Waldo uh, made a statement uh, when he was being interviewed by the Factory Investigation Commission. Um, there may be uh, fireproof buildings, but their contents, contents are not. Fire Commissioner Ryan Lander Waldo resigned on May 23rd, 1911, to become the New York City Police Commissioner. Oh, right. I've seen that before. Oh, it's safer. Yep. Yep. Um, so those, uh, when he started that business, is that where you, I think by one of those extinguishers I have says Croker. Yeah. Yeah. Croker. Right. I have, I think so, I had one of those too. That's them. Wow. Hmm. Direct. Connect the dots right to a triangle. Yeah. How much did they get money? Those guys for that building chief for the insurance? I don't know. I, I never saw anything about that. I'm sure that they did not, you know, uh, but they were millionaires, you know, they were millionaires, you know, they, they were the shirtwaist kings and that, that came out in the, uh, uh, in the best investigation that these were extremely wealthy men. Were uh, they uh, on the hook for anything? Were they held liable for anything? Or? I will get into that right now. They were, oh, oh, there we go. Look at that segue. <laughs> they were both indicted on first degree manslaughter. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, really? Yes. The trial started on December 4th, 1911. It lasted 18 working days. 155 witnesses were called. Judge Thomas Crane instructed the jury that in order to have a guilty verdict, it must be proven that the owners knew that these doors were locked. The jury came back with a not not guilty verdict. Holy shit. Not not guilty. Black and Harris settled lawsuits for $75 per person that were killed. That's chump change. What is that nowadays? What's what's $75 adjusted for inflation? Somebody figure that out. Probably still not not that much, you know? Nah, not not when you're a millionaire back then. Yeah. Yeah, they said definitely a millionaire. Um, so, I, so I don't understand if what does that have to do? It's still your building. Whether or not you knew that the door was locked, that's not you know. What if you hire somebody and they lock the door? That's still on you. You're still liable for that. You're still. It uh, sounds like the fix was in. Yeah, no doubt about that shit. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um. The uh, this fire started the factory investigating commission which was formed on April 30th, 1911, right after the fire. It was chaired by uh, Robert F. Wagner Sr. and Alfred E. Smith. Uh, Alfred, those of you who don't know who Alfred E. Smith is, he grew up on the Lower East Side, uh, right near Fulton Fish Market. And um, uh, he he, um, was part of the Tammany political machine. And uh, he got elected to... uh, uh, state government. The, the uh, I guess the, he was a, a representative of, of the state government, and uh, his big thing was that he would, you know, he had a strong, you know, combination Irish and New York City brogue, you know, which you know turned some of the uh, the highfalutin people off, you know, and uh, but he would read every bill that came in front of the New York state legislature. And he could tell you everything about that bill. And, uh, he was, uh, he was a very valuable member of the, uh, the, the, uh, New York state assembly. And he became governor of New York. Alfred E. Smith was governor of New York for, I think, uh, two or three terms. And he, uh, in the, um, in the thirties, 1930s, he ran for president and was defeated by, uh, 
Vancouver. Hmm. And, uh, so, uh, but this factory investigating commission made him, you know, he became a household word and uh, it made him politically. Um, the labor law was enacted October 1st, 1913. It addressed exit doors to open outward. Exit doors cannot be locked. Factory of 25 employees above ground must be sprinkled. Fire drills, rubbish removal, housekeeping, and fire escapes. And um, these were just some of the things that they, that were addressed. And this investigating commission not, was not just focused on New York City. They went all, all around the state. They went up to Buffalo, Rochester. You know, they, they, they were all over the state. And uh, so they, they saw, you know, working conditions with child labor and stuff like that, that uh, they, um, uh, they sought to uh, remedy. Um, little side note that um, a woman named Frances Perkins was a professor at Adelphi College, and she was a witness to the Triangle Fire. And uh, she was appointed by FDR to become the first woman who was Secretary of Labor in 1933. Hmm. Um, so some positive uh, things did come. I was just going to say, I mean, theoretically, I mean, this, this yeah. fire changed everything. They didn't die in vain as far as... This was an earthquake. This was... Yeah, yeah, it, it was, changed everything. Yeah, you know, and like I said, you know, one-tenth of the city's population turned out in a driving rainstorm to pay homage to these uh, seven unidentified people who weren't even in, in the caskets. You know, it was just an outpouring of, of love and affection for these people. Um, on May 1st, 1913, the New York City Fire Department formed the Bureau of Fire Prevention. Um, that's even more crazy how far back that goes now, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Um, the, uh, they That's told, crazy. Yeah, you know, in the reports afterwards, they talked about the delayed alarm and how, even though they were well intentioned, the, the the people who tried to fight the fire before transmitting the alarm to the fire department killed all those people. You know, that was um, the New York City Fire Department, despite uh, the extreme life hazard and th three floors of fire on arrival, and uh, you know, in the fifteen thousand. 625 square foot per floor and you know they probably will hold in 18 minutes and under control in 30. you know that that boggles my mind that they were able to do that i can't even believe that either that's incredible but i there was one thing that i read that uh the the firemen who responded to this fire were haunted by it by the rest of their lives you know the, the post-traumatic stress you know mm -hmm. they they were witnessing things that their mind is telling them I shouldn't be seeing this. Oh my mm -hmm. God, no doubt about it. Yeah, you know, this is you know, even though they were firing, I'm sure they saw their uh, their fires where it was a little gruesome. That this was epic. You know how bad this fire was and uh, the life loss and gruesome. You know, and, and the last girl who jumped was hung it's up, hanging there. Oh my God, just sitting there burning. You know, and uh, and. Crazy stuff, man. That's it. That's uh, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. What's your biggest takeaway from the whole thing, Chief? What the? Uh... Oh, that's a good question. I never thought about that. Um, delayed along. You know, the rate of combustion doubles for every eighteen degree rise in temperature. You know, yeah, you know, these that that building could have been sprinkled. 
if it was sprinkled, not only would it have provided an extinguishing uh, option, but it would also have transmitted along to the central station, and they would have they would have been there ten minutes sooner, you know. Mm. And um, so, um, did those guys ever think about? All the lives they did save. I mean, I understand, you know, there was a lot of people, who, you know, same thing we feel like with 9-11. You know what I mean? Like, we lost a lot of guys and we lost a lot of people, yeah. but we saved a lot of people. There think? were guys who, uh, like, uh, you know, 20 Truck, I, I have a, a listing of uh, guys from 20 Truck who, uh, who received medals. Um, see if I can find it. I think I had it here, Chief. Uh, yeah, I got it. I got it. You got it? Yeah. And um, they got class twos. You know, they had the Board of Merit then. We were with class one, twos, and threes. Um, uh, 20 Truck, uh, Jacob Wall, Floyd Mance, Frederick Sh uh, Schley, Fireman um, Alan Smith, John E. Stafford, Andrew Ott. He has a, a, a great grandson or a grandson who I, I got to speak to him. He retired as a fire marshal. Is that right? <laughs> William Murphy, Charles Kuhn, Frederick Schultz, David Oliver, and Martin O'Connor, and Fireman Dennis O'Keefe from 18 Engine was also awarded a, a class two. Now, on the anniversary every year, the International Ladies Garment Workers Association has a memorial at the, at the building. And it's it's kind of interesting to go if you can if you can make it down there some March twenty fifth, and they bring twenty truck in. And, Is that right? And they raise their aerial ladder, and they raise it to the sixth floor, and it stops, signifying what happened that day, uh, where that was the wow. I've never know that. Yep, and that that picture shows that uh, that celebration. You know, I don't know if you can see, like right in front of Twenty Trucks cab there. You can, yeah, see the pipes you, there. You can see banners and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a very well attended um, memorial. You know, and uh, uh, the, you know they haven't forgot the uh, uh, about this. About I remember when they did when when they had the hundred year. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the um, fire and but I, I never re I never researched it enough to I mean looking at some of the stuff here seventy two victims were teenagers yeah seventy two kids yeah some of them as I think the youngest here you have here written on your thing fourteen yeah yeah so That's, but so. I tell you one thing I learned a lot tonight just mm -hmm. the fact that these guys put this thing you know <laughs> even if it wasn't quote unquote under control. Like you, you can't. We can't do that today. Put yeah. a fifth alarm with mm. ten lines stretched. They got ten line stretch coops in, in a half whatever that was. Well, we were talking. About, we were talking about that. How they got their asses beat. But how about just stretching those two and a half? Stuff, two and uh, a half inch lines. Eight, eight stories, bro, and then operating for I don't know how long they were operating for. <clears throat> yeah. Now, one of the last pages I have um, a famous uh, article uh, from. Uh, a reporter from the United Press named William Gunn. And uh, he was a witness to this and he, he called his article into the paper, into the uh, United Press. 
And he stated, I was walking through Washington Square when a puff of smoke issuing from the factory building caught my eye. I reached the building before the alarm was turned in. I saw every feature of the tragedy visible from outside the building. I learned a new sound, a more horrible sound than depiction can picture. It was the, the thud of a speeding living body on a stone sidewalk. Thud dead, thud dead, thud dead, thud dead. 62 thud deads. I call on that because that's the sound and the thought of death came to me at each time at the same instant. There was plenty of chance to watch them as they came down. The height was 80 feet. The first 10 thud deads shocked me. I looked up, I saw that there were scores of girls at windows. The flames from the floor below were beating in their faces. Somehow I knew that they too must come down and something within me, something that I didn't know was there, steeled me. I even watched one girl falling, waving her arms, trying to keep her body upright until the instant she struck the sidewalk. She was trying to balance herself. Then came the thud, then a silent, unmoving pile of clothing and twisted broken limbs. As I reached the scene of the fire, the cloud of smoke hung over the building. I looked up to the seventh floor, really the ninth floor, and there was a living picture at each window, four screaming heads of girls waving oh, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. So, you know. Wow. That puts a new a light on that fire. That, you know, it really hasn't been told as far as to the best of my knowledge. And I, I've been tuned into <coughs> documentaries and everything about that. <clears throat> I got a lot of my, my solid information from the, um, the court transcripts from the, from the criminal trial of Blank and Harris. The, um, for some reason, Cornell university is the, is the, uh, the holder of all things triangle. And, uh, um, you go onto their website, you can get the court transcripts. And um, um, the, uh, you know, he, the, uh, the judge instructed that the, uh, the firemen and the police officers who came in to testify, says, uh, all I want to know is what you saw and what you did, not what you thought, just what you saw and what you did. I said, thank you, judge. That's what I want to. What did you see and what did you do? You know, and, and uh, you know, we're going through those transcripts is stunning. You know, so, uh, Chief uh, Chief Kubler was saying that Otis' grandson was a fireman in, in three twenty four before he became a marshal. Okay, yeah, yeah, I I, I ran into him and that, that was a blessing to to. to That's me. a great thing too, you know. Yeah. Like that, the guy's got to be proud to have his mm. grandfather operating. The yeah, yeah. Things, you know. And like I said, you know, you know, twenty truck has been in the forefront of of a lot of things. They they were uh, at the uh, uh, the fire where we lost. Uh, uh, three guys on um, Broadway and Grand. They were at uh, Worcester Street. Uh, that was on Valentine's Day. Every year, uh, uh, they hold a, um, a memorial for Worcester Street. They 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 have uh, the families come in, and um, they do a nice thing for the families who who are still around. The uh, the captain there is. Guy named Andrew Serra, and he's got these guys appreciating their history and, and how important 20 Truck has been in the history of the New York City Fire Department going to these landmark fires. And uh, so I tip my hat to him, you know, that, that he's got these guys appreciating 
their history, you know, the, the history of a lot of 20. No, that's great that he's doing that. That's good. Uh, say, Louie, I told you, you wanted to get somebody else. I said, no, <laughs> Jay Jonas is the guy to go to. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to. I, I'm hoping that he's wants to do uh, one of these a month at least. We'll get, get him, him. Uh, bi monthly, monthly, whatever he wants to do. Uh, he's retired now. You don't want to push him too much. You know? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to pick a topic and we'll work on it. Yeah, yeah I'm right. going to actually look at some of your other, unless you have one that you want to talk about. So I'm going to look at some of your other newsletters because I just have them all saved. And uh, they're all good. <clears throat> they're all, they're all, oh, you there know, you go. And every one of them, I went through a period of discovery with every one of them. I was like, wow. You know, even flyers I was at, you know, I said, wow, I didn't know that happened. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, no, so, awesome. uh, uh, there's, there's always something that happened at these fires, and it's like, son of a gun, look at that. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot about this. I'm glad we did this because I, I've heard about it obviously forever. And uh, but again, yep. it's one of those things <clears> that <throat> we go through the job. We're so busy trying to do so many other things, we're not paying yeah. attention to the history. You know. Yep. You know, like uh, you know, the uh, a couple fires I was at. You know, uh, the the uh, one that comes to my mind just had the anniversary of it was a Tom Wiley fire on um, on Rutgers Street in Manhattan. And uh, we pulled up to that first do, and there was a face at every window with heavy smoke pumping out behind every, and they're waving stuff. I was like, oh man, it's on, you know, here we go. You know, it, it's on. And I couldn't imagine being a fireman at, you know, I, obviously I went to the World Trade Center but seeing that scene where, where you had fire coming out every window on the seventh on, on, on this on the uh, uh, the eighth floor, and then you see all these bodies lined up on the ninth floor, and their clothing is catching on fire, and they're they have it's either burnt to death or jump. That's Plus, it was nineteen eleven, right? Yeah. I mean, they didn't have all the stuff that we have. You know, if the same scenario happened, we would be we're so much better <clears throat> equipped. It you know equipped. You know, like you said, we got radios, we got gear, we got air, we got, you know, we, we, there's so yeah. many things that these guys were up against right right from the get-go. And uh, it's just crazy stuff, man, to think about having yeah. that happen. You know, talk about a, you know, a group of manly men. <laughs> they just manned yep. up and they did it. You know? No doubt about it. The timing yep. is the time that they spent there. Yeah, operating is befuddled. I'm befuddled. Like it's just incredible. That's an incredible thing, and that's fact. That's not you know, we're not thinking about it. You know, maybe it happened. You know, time has gone by. Yeah. These are all facts. Like so, there's yeah. there's one picture that that I uh, I put in the stack of stuff where it's, uh shows a bunch of firemen standing on the sidewalk, and, and you see one guy with his helmet off, and, and you know just. What did we just go through? What did we just experience here? Oh my God! You know, it's a great picture if we could find it to throw it up there. Um, we get the X Man on it. He's probably scouring through pictures right now, thinking about it. Um, it, it was uh, like I said. This these guys never saw any kind of mass mass casualty incident like this. You know, unless uh, that wasn't the one. It was. Um, just a, a group of firemen just standing outside, like talking to each other, and uh, and you could put yourself in any one of the one of these. Oh stuff. yeah, just like I, I would be just doing the same thing, talking to these guys, and, and you know, trying to like, what did we just live through? You know, what the hell just happened here? You know, and uh, 
Yeah, I remember, you know, I've had several fires in my career where um, uh, <laughs> you know, you all of a sudden you're thrust in the middle of something. How the hell did I get here? I was having a cup of coffee 10 yeah, minutes yeah. ago, you know, and uh, from zero to 100 in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in two minutes. And, and you know what's sad about the guys who were there too, man? Like, you know, back then it was probably a different mentality. Like, they didn't want to talk about it. There was no counseling unit. You didn't sit there and, you know, and uh, talk, well, maybe talk about these. They were pretty much continuous duty. Like, they, they didn't have a lot of days off, you know. They yeah. Could, they were they, they one day off a week. I, I'm not sure the exact chart, but they they didn't go home very often. You know, they, they went they went back to the fires. They went to work. You know, they, yep. you know they were going to fires that night. And um, you know, like us that uh, we were talking about the deputy chief that responded to there from the first division, John Benz. And uh, that's the picture. That's the one. Yeah, look at the guy sitting down, like just like you could see him thinking there. You know. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, like I said, he he seems to have been at every big fire in Lower Manhattan, but he was probably on, on duty for almost, almost all of them. He didn't have many days off, you know. So uh, yeah, March twenty fifth coming up. So uh, get your mutuals in. Yeah, mutuals in. <laughs> 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 oh man, yeah, good stuff, time. Chief. I'm looking forward to the next one. The um, I, I I know forty five and fifty eight, forty five edge and fifty eight truck. They they do a nice thing at, at Happy Land every March. If, you know, if they uh, they go to the site, and um, like I said, you know, like if you can go to the the Triangle one and see that whole ladder twenty thing and know know now what it represents. It represents yeah, right, 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 right. They raise their area ladder, and this was. State of the art stuff. This was this was the the, the best fire apparatus in the world. Mm. And, uh, it was still short, you know. They couldn't get to this yep. one. Yeah. All right, we have to do one quick commercial. So, uh, producer X, pull up the first responders, if you would. He's working on it. He's on it. Maybe not. Maybe he's maybe he's not. I need the uh, QR code. First responders. I'll just read the script. The first responders center for excellence is a non-for-profit organization dedicated to protecting the lives and livelihoods of first responders. Their education and research initiatives aim to bring greater awareness and understanding to the challenges to the health, safety, and well-being of firefighters, EMS personnel, and other first responders. The goal is to reduce line-of-duty injuries and deaths as well as occupational illnesses. They are an infinite affiliate, I'm sorry, of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Today's old-school health and safety tip of the day is... Here we go. Make a New Year's resolution to protect yourself from harmful fire ground contaminants. Wash your protective hood. After every exposure to fire ground contaminants, this will minimize your risk of thyroid cancer. So, like we said all the time, man, the, we love going to fires, we love the job, but you got to take care of your, your health while you're working. And when you retire, you owe it to your family, you owe it to yourself. 
It's funny when I, all those years, right, Chief? I didn't really worry about any of that crap. Now I'm retired. I'm that's all I worry about is I got to keep living. And you know, oh my God, do I have cancer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, do I have yeah. this? What about that? What well, about oh, this? My, 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 <laughs> my back hurts. I might have cancer. I don't know. <laughs> but before that, I'm like, yeah, you're gonna take R and R. What? Wash yeah, up yeah. after a oh, job? No, no, let's go with 10 8. We're available, right? Yeah. 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 You have any shout outs, Ruffy? Uh no, I don't. I have one. I spoke uh, to Captain Jimmy Graham, and uh, as we know, his uh, nephew, Michael Graham, son, little Cooper, uh, he turned one. This is the little boy who had oh, – there we go. There's the little boy who had uh, this retinoblastoma. It's a brain cancer, and uh, prayers do work. Uh, after all the odds were stacked against him, he is, uh, it's a miracle. He's home and the doctors are amazed at his progress. And we just want to say happy birthday. And we know it was a long road for his uh, mom and dad, Mike and Rachel. Uh, I can't imagine going through months and months of that when they have a five-year-old as well. Uh, but like we said, we all prayed and, and Cooper is doing well. And we just want to say thank God. Thank you for all for praying for uh, Captain Jimmy Graham's nephew's child. God bless. Excellent. God bless. Good news. Some there good is news. good news. Yep. Uh, so on uh, Monday, we got Captain Tom Gardner roof, right? That's what we got coming on Monday. That's what we got Monday. Uh, he was, he just retired. He was the last captain of Squad 8. The first captain, charter member of Squad 8. Uh, 113 guy. I mean, he's, the guy's been around a long time, man. He's a great guy. He's a lot of laughs. So uh, he's, it's going to be a good show. So Louie and I will be back with Producer X. Until further notice, until we introduce maybe a face to it. We'll see. Maybe two guys. I don't know. But we're moving on. Up and oh, And do me a favor, guys. Start sending to coopspodcast at gmail.com. I need more health and safety tips. So we're going to start coming up with our own. They gave us a bunch. But if you guys have any health and safety tips, send them to coopspodcast at gmail.com. That's all I got. Chief, All right, you. Chief. Thank you very much, man. It was great, uh, really enjoyable. I enjoyed it. It was uh, good stuff, enlightening. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's fascinating. Yeah, it really yep. is. Right. We will pick. We will pick another one, and we'll get you back on. We'll get them back very on. Very good. We'll set up a date. Okay. All righty. All right, Ruff, uh, Leatherhead Nation. We'll see you guys on Monday. Until then, stay low and go. All right, everybody. We'll see you at the big one. Okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.